This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go. It's the panel part of the program. Thursday afternoon edition sees our friend Peter Sherman, broadcaster, businessman, and former MPP in the house. How's the Shermanator? Great to be here, and uh, I'll say your line. It's a great day for talk radio. Thank you for doing it. Just the way we rehearsed. David Wills, likewise part of the Thursday group, Senior Vice President of Media Profile. That's a leading Toronto public relations agency. How's the Wills? Uh, he's great. He's on vacation as of tomorrow, or as of now, I guess, because oh, really? not going back. So. Hard to tell. Can't get, yeah, it, really, it really <laughs> is at times. Good for you. Congrats. And Mitzi Hutter is back with us, rounding out the panel finance critic for the Ontario Liberal Party. How's Mitzi? Great to be here. Never on vacation. you got to tell me how you do that. No, oh. I'm... Well, I'm on vacation, so I'll have to make an appointment after I'm back. <laughs> By the way, Mitzi, uh, didn't you just lose a member of the party? Well, uh, uh, my wonderful colleague, Natalie DeRosier, uh, has moved on to become the principal of Massey College. She was a fabulous colleague. I have loved working with Natalie. The um, experience she brought as a constitutional lawyer and um, the issues that she took on, took on in terms of social justice and the environment uh, were just really amazing. I, I really enjoyed working with her. And I, of course, wish her all the best. Um, yeah, she's from up Ottawa way, right? Yeah, um, Ottawa Vanier, and mm. um, and now she's going to be the principal of Massey College. It's a globally recognized uh, institution, and um, very, very rare that uh, you know someone would move in into that role uh, from being an MPP. So, very, very proud of her. Wasn't Hugh Siegel in that role before? Yes, he was. Okay, just checking. Yes, he was, and uh, it's not yeah. a quiz. Nobody gets points or parting gifts. However, uh, Natalie, she was also with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Absolutely. Canadian Civil Liberties, Dean of Ottawa Law School. Wow. Um, you know, wrote the book on the Canadian Constitution. Like, she, her her resume and her credentials uh, are deep. Mm. Uh, but more importantly, I think she's just uh, a great person. And Well, that's a safe writing, though. It's going to go liberal again, isn't it? Yeah, now it's by-election time. So, you know, we've got to wait for, for that to be called. But, uh, you know, I visited that writing when I was education minister um, and uh, and we feel our chances are pretty good, and uh, we're going to, of course, uh, work work at winning that riding back. All right. Well, uh, you know, we've got a federal election just around the bend. I know. It comes as a... What? <laughs> By the way, you know, uh, the debate in English goes October 7th, and in French, three nights later on the 10th. Yeah. Does it have 20 candidates like the one in the States? Did you watch that last oh night God. before? Oh, my God. I did. I, I mean, did. That poor party has no idea where it's going. Well, it's just they're fighting. The infighting is unbelievable. Well, are they cannibalizing each other so that uh, at the end of the day, I mean, the Republicans are going to make political hay out of this? I think they're they're trying to buy insurance unwittingly for another four years for Trump. It's unbelievable. David's shaking his head. Why? I, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. Like, let's remember, it's one year away from them selecting who their candidate is going to be. If you've got 20 candidates, and we can debate all day long if we want how credible all the 20 are, but there's some pretty impressive candidates in there, that they can attract 20 uh, serious contenders for that job says a lot about that party. There was a lot of sniping and things last night especially, but, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, for, you know, a lefty like me is that four years ago, Bernie was saying all of this same stuff, and none of those 19 others campaigned with him, and they're now trying to out-Bernie Bernie. And it really shows how 
much the the progressive agenda has been embraced by the Democratic Party. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, they're out burning Bernie and the progressive agenda. I mean, can they cast their net too far afield so they're getting into, like, free pharmacare, uh, disqualifying all student loans, outstanding loans? We're talking about, you know, projecting trillions of dollars in the economy. Mitzi Hunter, I mean, as you're watching from the progressive wing of your own party, I mean, do you believe that these people are going to get any traction with middle America? Well, I think that initially they have to get traction with their own party, and, and that's what this is all about. And the policies that they're debating, I, I just thought that it was a fascinating uh, conversation, and to see um, how uh, the candidates are, are are really sharpening their game, and they have to, because in order to survive and to stay the next round, they have to make sure that they are improving each and every time so the bar is being raised and it will continue to be until we narrow the, narrow the field. So I enjoyed watching it. Um, it's like a reality uh, show, it, isn't it? it? A little bit, it was. Survivor and... Democrat. I think, I think <laughs> looking at, the, and you pointed it out, the move towards the progressive side of the agenda and the appeal to people who think left and are perfectly happy to admit that they're further left than right, maybe they have research that we're not privy to at this point that says the United States and the younger people who are coming along and ready to cast a vote, who haven't cast about thus far or have not felt it was worthwhile are so anxious to move the needle and get rid of Trump that they know something we don't know and there's enough people out there who are going to embrace a multi-trillion dollar medical system but I don't think so all right by the way uh, speaking of progressive agendas back home here uh, in Canada David Lametti the AG uh, and Justice Minister announced today pardons for 250,000 plus Canadians uh, who had been convicted of minor pot possession, 30 grams or less, and they're waiving the $631 fee, and uh, it takes effect immediately, no five to ten year waiting period or whatever it is. David Wills, uh, is there an election around the corner? How do you see this one? <laughs> well, I think there might be. I'd, you know, I've always thought this on the cannabis file, that they got it out of order. You know, they should have decriminalized. They should have given the pardons, cleaned all of that up, then legalized. You know, we've been working with legalization for a while. They've been kind of hanging there. One of the issues with the pardons is that it takes it out of your record. But like at the border, for example, they still see that you had an interaction with the police. They just don't know what it is. And it still allows them to you know, question you, deny you entry, all of these different things. So it's not quite the magic wipeout of, uh, of of the history that was there that, that they're kind of making it out to be, but it's out of order. It should have been done a long time ago, and the people who are still in jail for pot convictions, as long as they weren't dealers, should be let go. It's just costing us money. Wow, I'm surprised that there'd still be people. I mean, legalization was coming down the pipe, and it's been, what, 10 months now? I mean, what kind of a sentence would they have gotten? I don't know. I, possession hasn't been, just simple possession right. hasn't been subject to conviction of anything but a misdemeanor for many years now, as far as I know. So who's in jail that wasn't trafficking? Uh, I guess not that many people in yeah. jail. Maybe it's pardons for people who have long since served whatever sentence they had, but have to have their records expunged. Nancy? Well, I think who's in jail is part of this. And uh, well, who is, if, well, if you look at the demographics of who is in jail, a lot of indigenous people, a lot of black For young possession, people Mitzi? are are caught up in the, the criminal justice system. I actually think it's a good thing that we've expunged these records and, and had these pardons because now people can get on with their lives. They can get into the labor market and uh, and move on. And, and, you know, it's Emancipation Day. It's a good thing. I feel that burden being lifted off the backs of a lot of people today. Wow. All right. Well, you know, David Wills, I had some callers uh, prior to your arrival here, and uh, 
one in particular said she got a pardon many, many years ago, and uh, nothing gets flagged at the border. Well, that's, that's good. I, w- I just reading an article today. It depends when her conviction was, because if it was a paper conviction, it may not have been uploaded into the digital system. So it depends on the timing. Ooh. But I think you know one of the things Mitzi raised is um, we also have a problem in this country where there's an overuse of background checks, and there was a whole bunch of people who were denied uh, employment because they have a you know some sort of criminal record, any involvement with the police, and these could have been you know a pot possession thirty years ago, and. There's a lot of employers who just anything on that record, you don't make it to the next phase. So this is a really good thing in that in that aspect, because we've just been narrowing our labor pool unnecessarily for no good reason. By the way, uh, you know, Mitzi, uh, I just twigged to something when you were saying disproportionately this kind of thing, like pot possession had impacted marginalized people. Uh, Then this surfaced last night in the debate, and I was reading today where at TIFF, Ellen Page, who's a filmmaker and actress from Nova Scotia Way, is going to debut a movie, I guess, that she's uh, co-directing or something along those lines, discussing environmental racism. Is there such a thing, environmental racism? What is that? Well, you, you just have to look south of the border with, with the uh, Flint, Michigan, right, uh, where very poor communities are often the ones that, you know, receive are located near a dump or just something that, you know, no one else wants. And and I think that that's, um, that's what's being flagged here and that's what's being talked about because everyone deserves to live in a great community. Um, you know, in my community in Scarborough Guildwood, we just uh, expanded a public library and, you you know, I talked to to the Toronto Library uh, folks about, you know, the need for making sure that when, you know, they're selecting or expanding services um, that that they think about uh, people who can't have access and who are not mobile, because it's really important that we do that. And, you know, park spaces, community centers, all of those things, we should be thinking about where that need is. And uh, unfortunately, you're saying that oftentimes, people are disadvantaged because it's predicated on race. Well, well, it could be race. It could be uh, income levels. Um, it, you know, you think you hear all know about NIMBY where, you know, I don't want that here. So it goes into another community that's relatively silent because they don't have the capacity uh, to fight against putting undesirable uh, uses near their their community and near their neighborhood. And I think that's something that we have to always just be mindful of and have a fairness across our society when we're we're, we're, we're locating those. Uh, all right. Let me ask Peter assets. Sherman. I mean, does that make sense to you? environmental racism or is it just broadening the net and uh, criteria by which you know we're expanding the pool of victims it's an interesting turn of phrase and i have read about the movie which i think is called there's something about the water right and it, it pertains to indigenous communities that have been necessarily um they would say affronted by their proximity to the local dump or proximity to a natural gas storage depot that if somebody wanted to put it in Mississauga or Thornhill or Etobicoke, um, we wouldn't have it. We just plain wouldn't have it. And I think Mitzi has a point when she says there are some communities and they are poorer communities. Oftentimes those are racialized communities or they are indigenous communities, but poorer communities, regardless of what the color of the skin or, or the background, may be, uh, are going to have less opportunity to fight than people who live in rich areas. It's axiomatic. It's not because I said so or they said so. So somebody made a movie. That's fine. It's a good idea. All right. Well, you know, the phrase is maybe gaining some currency. And uh, as I said, I saw it last night uh, as well in the election or the uh, debate that came up anyway. Environmental racism. Is there a consensus now, Wills, that this is a thing? 100%. Like if you want to look here in Ontario, 
you know, in Oakville, very wealthy people got to fight off putting a gas-powered, uh, uh, gas-fired power plant there. And uh, why were they successful? Why were they successful? Because they have resources, they have money, they have connections, they have all of these things that, that, that Mincy talked about. They, the government they were, could have stood fast and said no, because, well, I mean, this is... We're, we're beyond, maybe there was another party that discovered no, what they were up to. I'm no, just no, saying. No. All, I, the, other, the flip side of this, I want to say, is Grassy Narrows, that, you know, that's been known for years, and they're you know, barely getting any traction to clean up the clean up their water because they're an indigenous community. So they they have not been powerful enough to to make governments do the things that they want. In Oakville, it was let's get it done. Grassy Narrow's been decades. All right. Well, uh, and the prime minister thanks them for their contribution. Exactly. <laughs> let's come back. Uh, more topics worthy of discussion. We see where uh, the Ford government is getting some heat for uh, postings on their social media wing. Ontario News Now. We'll see if that's legitimate or not. Uh, In a culture of complaint, everybody's got an axe to grind, but uh, we'll return with more topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. Peter Sherman, David Wills, Mitzi Hunter on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.